Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors presented by FMG Suite. More than 40,000 advisors rely on FMG Suite to help them stay connected, build relationships, and grow their business. Now it's your turn. Visit us at fmgsuite.com and schedule a demo so you can see our tools in action. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Peter Montoya, a name many of you on today's podcast may have heard before. Peter was the founder and CEO of Marketing Pro which FMG acquired in 2018. Peter is now the CEO of High Performance Organizations, which teaches entrepreneurs and executives how to lead high-performance teams and how to create leaders in your organization. In today's podcast, Peter and I talk about how to create a more meaningful organization for employees, how to create that purpose-driven company that will help all employees meet their needs. Peter also gives several action items for everyone. For example, he talks about the steps you need to follow when you, so you can determine if it's now's the time to fire someone. We'll talk about the lessons learned from the pandemic. Peter draws some strong, strong conclusions that should hit home with just about everyone. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Spread the word. Peter, it's been a while since we last spoke. Are you ready for this? I sure am so excited. Oh, it's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I've known Peter for more than 10 years, could be longer than that, but I'm, I'm going to admit to 10 years. Uh, and many members of FMG's senior management have known Peter for longer than that. So I was really excited, Peter, to hear you're up, you were up next for the Market in Motion podcast. Today, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about what you've been up to since the buyout. And, and Peter, gosh, I got to tell you, I'm not surprised that you're talking about the power of great leadership because uh, that, that seemed to be an area of passion for you for some time. Well, thank you for saying so. And yes, it have been, has been a lifelong pursuit for me to better understand uh, how to get um, high, more performance out of organizations and more performance out of myself uh, while being happier about it. Gotcha. Well, to give us a give us t- take a minute and give us a give us an explanation of the business venture, how it works, and what you've been working on. So I, you know, I spent the first. I've been in business now for almost thirty years. And for the first 10 or 15 years, I really spent my, most of my time in management. Uh, and it wasn't until probably about 15 years into my career that I understood there was something completely different going on, uh, which was that of leadership. So I'll give you the, the quick thumbnail, Interesting. if ever you want to understand the difference between marketing and I'm sorry, management and uh, leadership. So first of all, all of management is part of leadership but then leadership encompasses a lot of things outside of management. And more or less, uh, management is teaching people what to do. So if you want to, you know, you have, you have policies, you've got procedures, you've got systems in your organization, and when you were training them on how to work those systems or how to figure out how to optimize those systems, and you're basically telling people what to do or teaching them what to do, that is management. And leadership, on the other hand, uh, is developing people, uh, developing them to think. So more or less, they can be purpose-driven, impassioned, um, uh, you know, creative, uh, you know, fully, uh, in, in, in fully motivated people who are actually leading the business forward. Uh, and that's what I, my organization was missing until the last 10 years or so when we started experiencing growth. And that's what I want to do with the high-performance organization is help uh, 
small business owners, whether they be a one-man office or one-man plus some help or 10, 15, 20 people, is get them experimental growth by giving them a force multiplier of turning everyone in the organization into a leader versus being managed. Gotcha. Gotcha. Fascinating. Well, let's uh, let's drill down into that a little bit. I, I spent some time at your website uh, over the past couple of days, and the high-performance organization is what you refer to it as, and you describe it as a, a revolutionary system that empowers leaders in any field. Talk us through that a little bit, How the, the whole process of empowering leaders and what to expect and where to get it from. So, you know, when, when I, as I alluded to there, you know, I spent the first you know, 10 years of my career, 15 years of my career, uh, basically uh, being a really great producer. So I could um, write, I could speak, uh, I could create content. I had, was, you know, had a, a great vision for things and I could cast a vision. Uh, and I was really good at attracting really good people and then telling them what to do and then pretty much walking away from it. And then they'd come back to me either having done or haven't done it. Um, but that's, I was kind of an absent leader. I was a, you know, a somewhat a functional manager, but not nearly as good as I should have been. Um, so I learned the, the secrets that if you want exponential growth out of an organization, uh, it's going to come more than just from um, the business leader, the, the CEO. So more or less my organizations, until I learned the secrets of leadership, never were able to extend past my own personal production. So I always got topped out at some level where I couldn't produce anymore, and my organizations were always plateaued there. Uh, so then I learned these secrets about leadership, uh, and then I could more or less turned everyone in the organization into a leader, uh, and that's where I got more out of it. And what I discovered, if you really want to empower people, there's a three-part formula to empowerment. And we can call it empowerment, or we can call it leadership development, and it's basically the same concept. And I'll give you that three-part formula. Uh, so step number one is make sure you have an, you deeply instill a sense of mission. That means everyone in the organization know exactly what your unique service is and who you're doing it for and what your objectives are. So everyone's going to be really clear where the top of the mountain is at all times. And that oftentimes has to be reinforced on an ongoing basis. Uh, and sometimes we know where the top of the mountain is, but we don't know the kind of the little base stations along the way. We got to know those base stations. So every month we know exactly where we're headed. Uh, number two is we have to instill absolute responsibility. Uh, an absolute responsibility is a little different than regular responsibility. Uh, regular responsibility is about blame or shame. It's about knowing who's at fault, who should be ostracized, uh, and who, you know, we more or less should tear a new one. That's responsibility. Sure. Absolute responsibility, on the other hand, is about owning the outcome independent of who caused it. So we as business leaders all the time walk into the office one day and all of a sudden there's this big pile of mess that we got to look at and we automatically want to yell and scream and blame and shame. You get about one second at that to realize, okay, this is not the way I want it to and you got to own it. We cannot change what we do not own. So absolute responsibility is really important. And then step number three uh, is uh, mastery. And not only mastery over someone's skill set, whether it be relationship management or sales or financial planning or accounting or whatever, but mastery especially around decision making. So what good leaders do is they're transparent with how they make decisions and they start coaching their people on how to make decisions, frequently letting people make their people make bad decisions and suffer the consequences along the way. So if you want leaders in your organizations and you're tired of babysitting 
if you're tired of negotiating, if you're tired of pleading like a manager does, uh, this is what you've got to do. You've got to make sure they know the mission, have absolute responsibility and lots of authority along with that, uh, and then mastery in both decision-making and, and their skill set. Got you know it's interesting you talk about that uh, decision making it sounds a lot like being a, uh, or the mastery of the skills that I should say with decision making it sounds a lot like being a parent you have to let <laughs> yeah. you have to you have to let kids make mistakes even though you know it's going to be a mistake but you got to let them do it <laughs> that is absolutely accurate and what I discovered with my organization and as you know you now work with a lot of people who are leaders in my organization is I had a really hard time with that at first. I really micromanage them a lot. And then after a while, I realized, you know, I, I can't keep doing this if I want them to grow. I would let them make them, their own decisions. And then oftentimes, they made better decisions than I would. They had better ways of doing it. And that's where you really know you succeed as a leader. Sure. You know, the, I think my number one goal of a as a leader is I want to develop leaders who are better than me. Gotcha. You know, it's fascinating because, you, you know, you, you talk about the decision making, people feeling comfortable making decisions. When you when you start to put that mastery together, that skill set, how, how does that how does that evolve? How do you how do you teach someone the process of of making being comfortable in their decision making ability to ultimately come to a decision? How, Great question. That, yeah. So, you know, the first thing is you let them, let them inside the kimono and you basically share with them uh, how you're thinking about a problem and actually walk them through. And you don't do, you know, you try to minimize the number of times, you know, do it because I said so. That's what my mom used to tell me. <laughs> try to really minimize that. Sometimes you got to do that uh, as much as possible. You're bringing into the decision. The next time along the way, you basically go, well, how would you approach this? And you ask them questions to get them kind of thinking and articulating. And you might say, okay, that's a really good idea, but here's what I'm thinking here. So do it this way for right now. Then the third time you might come back, they're gonna tell you what their problem is. And you don't wanna answer the problem for them. You don't wanna give them the solution. You don't say, here's what to do. You go, well, what would you do? You know, what's, mm -hmm. our, what, what's your outcome? What do you think is our highest values? What's our mission gonna be? What's being the best service with the client and get their answers. And if you think, well, you know, 60 or 70% chance their solution is going to work and it's not going to be hurt the organization too much, let them implement their solution. Sure. Uh, and then eventually the training wheels come completely off and you say, yep, just go ahead and handle it. I know you got this. You know, Peter, as I, as I hear you talk through that, I think about uh, many of the people that will be on this call, financial advisors and uh, investment advisors, registered investment advisors. Uh, you know, the, their, their decision making is so structured in so many ways around what they can and can't say from a regulatory perspective, what they can and can't do if, from a broker dealer, from a licensing perspective. How, how do you coach people like that that have restrictions on their boundaries of what they can do with decisions? How do they, how do they make good decisions based on all of those? Uh, well, I, uh, let's just say um, just uh, sets, of, sets of structures that are already in place that they can't work around. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. So obviously, I'm very familiar with registered reps and registered investment advisors and investment advisors, and it creates a, a matrix of complexity in the decision-making process. Sure. It isn't always as simple as what's the best thing for the client or what's the best thing for us. Then you have to go, okay, what is actually legal and allowed? And it adds more complexity. Um, our brains, what our brains actually are, are pattern recognition machines. We recognize patterns, and then we are pattern uh, implementation machines. And the more experience that we have with solving problems, more or less, the more uh, complete the map is in our mind, where we know the territory better, 
and we oftentimes are able to create better solutions for those problems. So it unfortunately just takes more time and more experience kind of um, trying to use all those individual factors, what's best for the client, what's best for me, what's legal and according to all the agencies, what's also gonna be most efficient to start mapping out the best solution. But you know, as Stephen Covey always said, uh, start with the end in mind. Basically, that's always where a good leader starts. What's the outcome? Uh, and for me, it's always what's best for the client, then what's best for us, what's best for my team, and that's how you kind of create the matrix. Yeah, and in the era of risk, uh, regulation best interest, we all know where it starts. It starts with uh, understanding what's in the best interest of the client, really, and working backwards from that. Uh, the uh, yeah, I think the most challenging thing about making decisions, really, in the, the regulated environment that we're in, uh, is that the rules keep changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very <laughs> scary. And the ground on, underneath your feet is constantly shifting. So, yeah, and that's one of the reasons you always ask, you know, what's in the best interest of the client? Uh, and then you look at the regulatory second. Right, right. You know, I, I wanted to, you know, we we talked a little bit about the high performance organizations. I want, and uh, as I checked out the site, we were you were talking about more meaningful organizations, and uh, I was doing an interview probably about two three years ago, and it was the first time I I had done an interview, and the question I got back from uh, the person who was uh, interviewing for the position was said that I wanted to work for a purpose driven organization, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, you know, it was it was it was it was made me do a double take. I, I, I didn't quite know how to answer that back, but that's become more commonplace now where, where, uh, where that purpose-driven organization is what, what makes people part of their own personal mission statements. Um, so as you think about this as your coach in organizations, are, are you seeing a shift in the corporate landscape? Great question, and the answer is absolutely yes. So when you are a manager, what most managers do and kind of how I was raised, it's all about creating systems of compliance for your employees. You basically think, you know, I want you punching in this time. I want you making this many widgets. I want you making this many phone calls. And then you leave at five o'clock each day. And you're more or less trying to manage them and motivate them by task. Uh, This more or less creates a transactional relationship where I am paying uh, somebody a certain amount of money for a, a certain amount of widget making. And under that scenario, most people do not flourish. They will never work harder um, than they're expected to do. And over time, there really is no system of compliance that the average line worker cannot outwit. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> we're very smart rats, and we will always figure a way uh, to cheat the system to do less if we're not really inspired. So human beings, we really are purpose-driven creatures. Every single one of us is hardwired to want to help other people around us. So when you, are, when, you, when you transfer from being a manager to being a leader, you have got to be very, very clear on what the why is of the organization. The Simon Sinek talk, you know, start with why. You know, why are you doing this? Who are we helping? And this is actually how you create an intrinsic motivation inside of people inside of your team to want to do more because they are driven by the purpose of helping other people. So if you want to completely switch the relationship with your team from you know never getting anything more out of them than they have to do to them wanting to do more 
for you, the organization, and your clients, you've got to know what your mission and your purpose and your vision is and make sure your team does. It just can't be written in a book somewhere on a shelf. It's got to be out and visible and talked about on a regular basis. It's got to be part of the culture. Right. Yeah. You think about that with, uh, with financial advisors. And I think the, um, you know, as I, as I, uh, as, as I work with financial advisors and, and the, the investment advisors, um, it, it's always about creating a solution that helps the customer that helps, that helps their client, uh, and, and, and getting that into the entire culture of the organization. I, do you find that financial professionals, uh, are just by the nature of them structuring to help people that, that have a little, have a leg up on it, or is it something that they actually need to learn more of? Yeah, they really do have got, have got to make it over. It doesn't have to be that much. So one of the things uh, we, we work with in the high-performance organization is the onboarding process of all of your new people. And when I first started hiring people, I thought it was about two things. Number one, was about finding you know, talented people who could do the job. And number two, uh, I thought it was about motivating them to want to work with us. And those are two very important aspects. But the third and probably most important process of the hiring and onboarding process is the setting of expectations. So that onboarding process and the hiring process is probably where an employer has maximum opportunity to instill the values uh, and the mission and the purpose to make sure people coming on board know that they're just not trading their time for money. Uh, they're actually making, bringing themselves to the job to bring their passion their, and their creativity. So that's where I think a lot of the work has got to be done is on the hiring and the onboarding to kind of instill that. So you know, a lot of financial advisors, and, and I know I, I've been a sole practitioner before, is you are the person taking the trash, you're making food, you are a bottle washer and cook, you're yep. doing all these things, and now we're going, oh, Peter, really? I, I got to also instill a mission and a vision is just too much. I, I want to just do plans and sit with clients. I'm sorry <laughs> how com complex the business is and for the different things you've got to do. But if you want to go from being a one-man office with part-time or no help uh, to actually have a business, these are the things you have to talk about. Yeah, you have to think about. Gotcha. It, it makes sense. I, th I think you can, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it seems like it's um, uh it, it it seems like uh, the the baby boomers were more caught up with the the task driven type of work where it was really met like you said manage and motivate by transaction, but it seems more the millennials that are coming behind are are much more into the purpose driven organizations and you know one of the areas that I see that quite clearly is uh, you know twenty years ago uh, socially conscious investing wasn't a big deal. Now it's hard to find a company that isn't socially conscious. It it, it really is the um, that purpose driven has has really seeped into the the uh, corporate culture. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And a lot of you know managers uh, and leaders criticize millennials uh, for wanting you know to have a sense of purpose, but I think they're the ones who have it right. So I too, uh, you know, I'm a Generation X, and I was kind of raised with that World War II. Uh, leadership style, uh, more, more or less, you know, I wasn't told why to do something. I was just told what to do and I was expected to do it. Uh, you know, I worked 70 hours a week and, you know, money was my ultimate motivation for a good decade or so. Sure. I, you know, bought into the belief that time is money. Uh, I thought that you kind of re, um, that led by fear and intimidation. I thought the leader's job was to do the vision, the strategy, the thinking, 
uh, and then also the dictating. You know, I thought that Mr. Spacely um, from the Jetsons was the ideal <laughs> boss. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, he, he was a boss, all right. Yeah, <laughs> that was my model. Yeah, funny. Uh, and but now, what I've come to learn is the, the number one job of a leader is leadership development. So, yes, your job is strategy. Yes, it's vision. And yeah, you should be doing engaged in collaborative problem solving with your team. But your real job is to make leaders of your people so you can untether yourself from the business. And that's what's always kind of surprising to me is financial advisors are always talking about how they have to do everything and how they can't trust anybody and how they have to never sure what they're, they're going to come into in the office. And when you find out what their, how their mentality is, they're all about management. So no wonder they feel like they're babysitting and taking care of office politics all the time because they haven't made a transition to leaders. Uh, and that's what I do is get them thinking and acting like a leader so they can untether themselves from the business. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, I want to, you know, people who are on the call, I want you to go and check out the website. It's petermontoya.com. Uh, I've got it up on my screen. Uh, looking at it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a very thought-provoking website. It has a lot of good information in it, just about about the whole notion of high-performance organizations. One of the things I noticed, Peter, is I went in. Uh, you call it the HIPO. Um, uh, th that's the acronym for it. Right. Um, there's a lot of different types of, um, of programs and a lot of different types of uh, uh, structures you have for people, to, uh, how they can get involved and how they can learn this. Uh, as a small business owner who runs a BD or an RAA, what, what could I expect to learn from these programs and how should I begin and all that kind of stuff? So our flagship program is the High Performance Organization. It is an eight-week group mentoring program where you have both a combination of online e-learning and then also group coaching done with me. So it's all done by Zoom. Uh, it's done with financial advisors and other businesses across the United States. Uh, the requirement is you've got to be a business leader, though. So you may own it or may own the business or you may just be you know a c-level executive in your business that's made for leaders and what i basically do is run you through and give you all of the tools all of the scripts all of the contracts all the things to put your into your organization to convert you from a management organization to a leadership organization I'm going to teach you how to be the leader of, of this culture and how to actually instill it in a way that people actually start outperforming their expert, what your expectations were of them. Uh, that's what I do. Uh, we start with a, a webinar, which we do usually about twice a month. There's a button right there on the website, which says join a webinar. And that's the easiest way to get a sense of what we do in that program. Gotcha. Yeah, I, th I think it's, uh, you know, I think about the... Um uh, just uh, the FM, FMG and how, you know, we've evolved over the years. And um, uh, one of the things that we do at, uh, we have weekly meetings and we have some more regular meetings as an organization. And one of the things the uh, uh, Scott White and the other members of the uh, leadership team do is we, we constantly revisit our our mission. We constantly revisit mm -hmm. our quarterly and our, our short-term goals and our long-term goals until they really become conversational. And, I, and, and what I'm hearing from you is that is that really is what a company has to practice. They, it really has to get that process of, um, of getting everybody to buy in by just continuing to present it to them. That's absolutely right. So I had the good fortune of spending a lot of time with Scott White when he was actually purchasing our, our organization. And oftentimes those transactions are kind of fraught with tension 
uh, between the buyer and the seller. Uh, and I walked away from that organ from those that, uh, those conversations incredibly impressed with Scott White. I like like him a lot. I still text him or, and call him about once a quarter just because I enjoy talking to him and I like kind of getting an update with the organization, even though I don't have a even a any ownership in it anymore. And one of the things I noticed, I picked up a lot of leadership techniques just hanging around Scott uh, during that transition process. And you're absolutely right. I noticed right away about how he uh, created culture, uh, not only by saying what mission, vision, uh, and strategy was, saying what the values were, but actually living those things on a day-to-day -day basis in every in encounter he had with me and the other people throughout the organization. So yeah, he's been a great um, role model uh, in that area of leadership. Yeah, we have him. We have our uh, uh, um, up the uh, our our mission statements up on the wall, so everybody mm -hmm. sees them every day. So it's it's the little things that like that. I think that make a uh, make a huge difference. All right, well, Peter, let's do some let's do some fast pitch stuff here because uh, just to I, I just have uh, three more questions that I wanted to run by, and I think they're uh, they're 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 interesting ones because uh, um, there's there's stuff that you face as a leader, as a manager. Um, how do you know when it's time to fire someone? Oh yeah. So um, so first of all, when you're bringing somebody on, you know you obviously got to have a really great a job description and an agreement that goes along with it, so they know exactly what their expectations are. Uh, a good leader is constantly coaching their team, especially as they're being onboarded, uh, either every day sometimes, uh, every week sometimes, and then sometimes it's once a month, to make sure they know exactly you know, where, who they, what their job is um, and where they're headed. Uh, I more or less teach the four W's of objection setting, objective setting, excuse me. So whenever you're setting an objective, you want to make sure you use the four W's. Who's going to do it? What are they going to do? Uh, when are they going to do it by and why? So whenever you're sitting with any of your people, make sure they know the four W's. Um, then if you're doing those things and they are still underperforming, um, the first time you kind of get that sense in your stomach, the first time you get the little voice in the back of your head, should I fire them? That's usually a really good indication if you have done all the other things correctly. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like a sounds a lot like a, like what a, how a journalist would approach a story: the who, what, when, where, and why. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, uh, but, but that first little voice that's gonna that's gonna do you do you do you teach people that to listen to that or to kind of structure around it? What's the what's the best approach? I, I teach people to listen to that. Mm. So you know, I, I that's what I it was taught to me probably twenty years ago, uh, and I have followed it ever since. And the only thing that I'll do and check myself is I'll go back and go, okay, have I really coached this person correctly? Have they been absolutely clear on their objective? Have I, been, have I been giving them feedback? Have I done all of my part right? And if I have done all of my part right and I ask the question, will this person ever be capable of doing the job I need them to do? If the answer comes back, no, it's time to let them go. Gotcha. Okay. Good rule of thumb. All right. Uh, another one that uh, another fast pitch question I wanted to get to you was uh, how we, we're talking about leaders. And I, the, the, the thought occurred to me is, is how do leaders get more done every day? Or how, mm, yeah. how, 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 how do you teach them to get more? Is it, is it the process, the decision making? What what contributes to that? I'm going to give you a really quick technique that's super easy and it's called the big five. So. Uh, any good leader, so first of all, this is the number one complaint that I get 
from leaders, no matter what business. But I hear it probably even more in, among financial services. I don't have enough time. Uh, what you probably should do is write down everything that you have to do on a regular basis. And I'm not talking about individual tasks. I'm talking more about more about areas. Like you might have to do accounting, and you got to payroll, and you got to do financial planning, and you do customer service, you got to do sales and marketing. Write down all the things that you got to do. Then look at that list and look at what are the activities that only you can do that are most likely, we'll call it money-making activities. Money-making activities can be short-term or long-term. And the more of a business owner you are, the more of a salesperson you are, you're always thinking very short-term, tomorrow, next week. And then business people are thinking three, six months or a year away on a regular basis. One of the major hallmarks is between salespeople and business people is what is their uh, frame of reference, the time horizon. Sure. Um, so write down everything you got to do. Uh, then look for your top five. What are your top five money-making activities? Those are what you do, and you try to, as much as you possibly can, delegate everything else to someone else in your organization or outsource it completely. Uh, you do that, you will have more time, um, be a better leader, and get much more done while making more money. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, rainmakers should focus on the rain. They mm -hmm. should focus on what's going to help the organization because ultimately that will help uh, help the whole business evolve. I, I started my career off, too, as a fireman. And I came in every single day and just poured myself into the business, working 12 hours a day. And more or less, I was just putting out fires all day. And it's really easy to get caught up in solving problems and taking care of whatever's walking in your door on a regular basis, but it doesn't necessarily move the organization forward. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting, uh, Peter, as, as we come to a close here on the, the podcast, it, it makes me think about, uh, uh, you know, you're talking about accounting, payroll, customer service, sales and marketing. Social media has become such a such a, a um, uh, I, I want to say almost an essential part of every business, either how they how they uh, how they uh, uh, their website interacts with their Facebook, their LinkedIn page, uh, whether they're you know if they're a business, they're getting uh, rated on Yelp and other uh, reputation management uh, systems. Is that an area that leaders need to focus on, or is that something that they could uh, delegate? They certainly can delegate it. Uh, and you're right, though. Social media has become even more important. So for me, COVID has not been as much of a change, change agent in business as it has been an accelerant. It more or less has accelerated the trends that were already happening in business to happen much quicker. I'll give you a couple of examples. So first of all, the demise of brick and mortar retail, that certainly happened. Uh, the increase of using Zoom uh, for meetings and, and, and things like that. You know, up till six months ago, I never used my camera in a Zoom meeting. Uh, and now I use my camera almost every single time. So I get a little bit of personal connection during the course of the day. We've also increased and accelerated the use of things like online streaming services, the decrease of movies, uh, the decrease of travel, uh, and the increase of social media because we still want to be connected in some sure. way. So yes, social media is a very important tool for maintaining our current client relationships and also cultivating and curating uh, relationships uh, that aren't currently in a, what we call an A category. I'll give you a quick story. I one time went and visited a broker-dealer compliance officer, and when I went in and visited her, she was as cold as the Arctic Circle. She <laughs> had no warmth. I could not get her talking personally. She gave me yes and no answers, just completely and totally ice cold. I don't know, I don't still understand why, but she friended me on Facebook, and it turned out we both loved dogs, 
So we kind of built a rapport around animals. She loved dogs. I love dogs. Six months later, I went back in to see her, and she hugged me uh, the first time I saw her. It completely converted that relationship. So yes, you can delegate social media, and I delegate some of my social media, uh, which is you know posting of things and stuff like that. But also, I want to be on social media, so I'm actually curating those relationships too. Sure, right. So there are some advisors that go, I can't stand social media. I don't want to do it. Okay, I think you've got one hand tied behind your back. Gotcha. Uh, it makes certain sense, and I think you're right with the accelerating of the trend because what you do see uh, uh, in the financial services, the 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 the, the press and other uh, conversations, just is about uh, how it really accelerated the adoption of technology and and gave uh, financial services reps the the perfect chance to update the technology on their where their that they were using in their office. Uh, yes. That gave it gave them cover to do it. They didn't have to explain why they were slow doing it. They just said, "Hey, this is." Now it's part of the new way of doing business. Absolutely right. And so, yeah, a lot of my financial advisor clients are using Zoom uh, for their quarterly check-ins now and sharing screens and clients are coming along for the ride. Yeah. And it, uh, it, that may be that way for some time. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Well, Peter, I want to thank you so much. Uh, did we cover everything? Did I, did I, is there anything left on the table that I didn't get to? Oh, the only thing I can share is if you go to petermontoya.com, and it, it spells just like it sounds, make sure you register for a website. And then I've also got a free download, which is the seven deadly sins of business leadership. And I hope that I exemplified it on this call as I always do. I'm a heavy content speaker. I've got lots of content and lots of practical ideas. Uh, and I do the same thing with our giveaways too give people ideas to help them grow their business. I'm really fortunate in a sense that what I do now is I, I don't do it because I have to. Uh, I do it because I want to. Uh, and I really love working with financial advisors. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Well, uh, we certainly got a lot of great information today, Peter. So thanks for spending the time with us. Uh, everybody, uh, thanks for joining us for the Market Emotion podcast. Uh, until next time. Thank you for listening to the Market Emotion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.